welcome to Compliance Solved, where we provide our listeners with 15 to 20 minutes of compliance advice brought to you by healthcare compliance pros. We've got you covered from coast to coast, bringing you the very latest in healthcare compliance with our experts, Chad Schiffman and Loretta Maddox. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Compliance Solved. I'm Loretta Maddox, a senior compliance consultant here with HCP. And as usual, we have Chad Shipman, our director of compliance with us as well. Hi, Chad. Hi, Loretta. So today we have a special guest. We have asked Mike DeVries to join us to talk about the Provider Relief Fund and also the Payroll Protection Program. Mike is a partner in the CPA firm VMDE, but he is also the owner of MD Management Group. And Mike, I've got to tell you, I love the MD Management Group's tagline, helping doctors mind their own business. Yeah, that's that, fantastic. Thanks, Loretta. It, uh, it is a tagline that uh, came to me um, one time just listening to somebody and talking about, you know, uh, do you have a business? And they asked, uh, you know, do you have a business? And then so everybody was like, no, I don't have a business. Well, everybody has the business, right? You have <laughs> your personal business. You have your family business. You have whatever. It's a, it's a business. And, and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And then the whole idea of minding your own business came up. And, and uh, that's what we help. We help doctors mind their own business. And, and, but their business. It's their business, but we want to help them. So. Right. Helping independent doctors do that, that's uh, what we'd like to do. So it was a fun tagline, and sometimes I get quizzical looks, and sometimes <laughs> I get, oh, that's cool, you know, so you'll see. Well, we think yeah. it's cool. We think it's cool. So, Mike, I know we have listeners who probably have questions about all this money that they've received from the government during sure. um, the pandemic. So can you tell us a little bit about the history of the Provider Relief Fund and what it means yeah, certainly. So, you know, the um, the government, Congress came out with a couple acts. Um, the first one was the FFCRA, uh, the Family First Coronavirus Relief Act uh, that would help and provide some tax relief um, for um, sick pay and family emergency um leave act to, you know, for small businesses and such. And then shortly after that, I think it was right around the end of March that uh, Congress and then, and then President Trump signed the uh, CARES Act. And the mm -hmm. CARES Act has a ton of provisions in it to provide relief uh, for small businesses um, that are experiencing um, issues with the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. And part of that is the uh, HHS or the Provider Relief uh, Funds, which was uh, to be a $100 billion distribution. And they were going to do that over a period of time um, and for different purposes. And uh, I remember being in the throes of the payroll protection program, helping clients getting their information and getting the applications done and so on and so forth. And um, it was probably about April 8, 9, something like that, mm -hmm. uh, where I saw a video on YouTube from the uh, secretary of HHS. And, and she said, um, 
that they were going to start initially getting the first round of money out. It was going to be like a $30 billion money, and they were going to disperse this based on um, the participation in Medicare. And, right. uh, and, I, and I was like, what? That, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, what's going on? And that very next day, it was April 10th, I went in the office, and uh, one of my clients, we have access to their checkbook, online checkbook, and so on. And I went and looked, and sure enough, if they didn't have a deposit from HHS, and it was just like automatically the funds went in there. So wow. that started the uh, that process. And, of course, clients were like, you know, we were, we were sending out uh, emails, and we were doing webinars regarding this kind of information, and that just had happened. So we were sending that information out to clients, and they were saying, well, what do we do with this money? And I go, what? just don't touch it yet. You know, we got to make sure we know exactly what it is. It has to be used for because, you know, all this, whether it's PPP, HHS, uh, any of the government money, we always say, you know, it's the government's money. It's their sand. We're playing in their sandbox. It's their castle. And if we're playing in their sandbox, we got to play by their rules. So we got to make sure we know what it is that we have to do. And, you know, what do we have to, uh, comply with as far as their regulations are concerned and do we even want this money do we even want to accept it you know that kind of thing so it took a little while but we we kind of figured that out but that that happened april 17th and then around uh april 22 or so there was another um 20 billion dollars the first round was 30 billion dollars and the second one was uh 20 billion dollars and then you had to submit an application in order to uh, get additional funds. Well, at that time, most of my clients, they were getting the PPP money fairly, you know, that was happening. And we were looking at that as being our main funds that we were going to utilize. Um, The HHS money was nice, but it had to be used for different purposes and weren't sure if we were going to really have those kinds of things available, plus the standards and the and the certifications you had to make and the requirements just seemed a lot harder than what was being promoted through the PPP program. Mm -hmm. So um, that was, you know, that happened. And so a lot of clients didn't necessarily even jump on the bandwagon to, to go and ask for additional monies in that second round or, you know, submit an application to get their money. And then since then there's been different targeted allocations. I, I have uh, pediatricians, for example, who um, the American Academy of uh, Pediatrics sent out a whole thing on that and, you know, getting this money because typically, you know, pediatricians aren't going to be using Medicare, but they do some Medicaid. Right. So anybody that had Medicaid or the CHIPS program or whatever could get some money as well. And they were looking at like 2% of their receipts. Mm-hmm. So um, had a few clients do that. And then along came the dentists as well. We serviced quite a few dentists and uh, they were able to get it. And first it was, I told them about it and nobody said anything. And I told them again about it and nobody really did anything. Then the ADA came out and said, Hey, this is available. And then they're calling me and saying, Hey, do we get to use this money too? And it's You're like, like yeah, I've been telling you, know, you this, this whole yeah, time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So anyway, we, um, 
we have done now a few dentists as well that uh, are doing it. But again, it's always entered with some caution. You know, what do I have to use the money for? What is the government telling me I have to do? Do I have to, you know, be subject to the rules? And, you know, this isn't free money. HHS is not free money. It's, no. it's, it's comes with a cost and it's taxable. So we got to take that into consideration when we're looking at it. Whereas the PPP program, that money would be uh, only, it's a loan. It's really not even a taxable money. It's a loan that's going to be forgiven if you meet the requirements or it's, it becomes a loan that you have to pay back if you, you know, don't meet the requirements in some form. So um, it never is income to you, although the uh, expenses that you, that you pay with that money are not deductible. So we have to take that into consideration as well. So that's really that's a, the history of all the various programs. There's been, a, there's just been more than we, you know, can think of. I mean, every, every, every day I wake up in the morning, and I go check the news, say, okay, what's happening? What's going on? You know, is there something else that right. we may have to help clients with? I think that's a great point that you made about taxable income versus the loan process. Mm -hmm. And that, that yeah. I can't imagine that healthcare providers that are getting this money truly under, you know, that that's not something that's just easy to understand. So I'm glad that you're talking about that because I think that will help our listeners understand how to deal with these funds that they've yeah. received. It's almost like a pecking order in a way. I, I look at it as the, the PPP money being probably the most prominent and something that really helps the doctors uh, groups a lot. Um, and then maybe the HHS money um, for those that are really in dire need and just really need a lot of cash. Um, you can look to the SBA idle loans, the emergency income mm -hmm. loans. Um, but even there, I, I say proceed with, much caution because, you know, it's, you really have to be careful about how you use that money and well, it just can't be used for anything. So, and I think that brings us to a, the, our next point is they, when you agree to the, the terms and conditions, you know, there are some terms and conditions that I think maybe our listeners may not be aware of. So can you talk about that a little sure. bit? Sure. So when, when our, uh, our clients received that first round of HHS money. Um, we said, hey, wait a minute, hold on, we got to see what's going on. And, and even to this date, I mean, you would say, hey, you know, let's make sure that we're following the programs. But in the terms and conditions, when you look at certification and acknowledgements, in, in the first phase, they when you got the money, it was like, okay, within 30 days, you had to make... Um, an attestation that you received the money and, and then you agreed to these certific, uh, certifications and acknowledgements. And mm -hmm. uh, then they delayed it. And I think now it's like 90 days since you get the money. But in that first phase, it was like, well, if you um, basically had to say, you know, I'm not terminated from Medicare participation or any other federal program. Well, that's, that's easy to do, right? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not providing any false information. That's, I, I would hope that would be easy. Although, you know, that's, that's why the government does what they want. They do because we know there's a lot of fraud and abuse. And that's why we have companies like healthcare compliance pros that helps right. us work through compliance stuff. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Because we know it happens, but, um, but one of the, the other things that you had to agree to is that you would not 
collect out-of-pocket expenses, or you would, you would collect out-of-pocket expenses, I'm sorry, as if all patients were in network. In other words, you would not balance bill. Right. So, you know, you had to look at that. And then also, um, you, will, you couldn't use the funds to reimburse for expenses or losses that had been reimbursed from other sources. So, in other words, if we're tracking the PPP money and we're using all this for our rent and so on, uh, supplies, whatever it happened to be, then you could not use the HHS money for that as well. So there right. couldn't be any overlapping of, of that. It was pretty straightforward. And I've had clients that did that and then got the money and, and signed the acknowledgement and, and have been assigning it accordingly uh, as far as the use of the funds. Um, when phase two came out, they said, okay, well, all the same requirements as phase one, Plus, in order to get phase two, you had to have received money from phase one. So that first round of, of I guess, 2A, right? Right. Uh, right. You had to receive money from phase one. And then you also had to submit data justifying your need for that money. So it wasn't just given to you automatically. You had to go in there and provide 2018 uh, data in order to get the payment. So we, we were giving clients, you know, copies of tax returns and or, you know, the, the information they needed in order to do the application pro, uh, process. And then finally, you had to consent to the fact that, um, that this information that the government was giving you this money was going to become public information. Okay, so right. third parties could look up your information and know basically how much money you received from HHS. So that was just kind of the certifications and acknowledgements. And then, then they get into the reports um, and what has to be done as far as um, going forward. And they say, well, you're going to have to submit quarterly reports. Do I know what those quarterly reports are at this point? No, I think you know, and I don't, but the secretary of HHS is going to determine that and based on what's needed to ensure compliance with those payment conditions. So, right. um, and clients need to maintain records and documentation. I said that from the start with the PPP program, I just kept saying, look, folks, this is not free, free money. You're going to really need to maintain records and document all this information. And so, um, and the government is, um, is able to come in and audit your records. And so you have to have that stuff ready to go, whether that be for the bank that goes to the SBA for the PPP program, or whether the government comes knocking on your door and says, Hey, I want to see what's going on, you know, especially when you're talking this kind of money that's going out of the government, they're going to, they're going to protect their castle. They're going to make agree. sure that yeah. that's going to have to happen, you know? So we agree, which is why we uh, wanted you to talk about this today is because we do feel like that this is an area where our listeners really need to understand how to track these expenses related to this money. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, severe penalties if you omit or misrepresent or falsify or, you know, and maybe you just didn't understand and, and therefore you didn't do things properly. Well, that's, you know, ignorance is, 
not a uh, what do they say? Ignorance it's is not bliss. A, oh, what's that? <laughs> Ignorance is not bliss. Yeah, no, right, situation. right. Yeah, I mean, you you need to know the laws, right? So, I mean, when you're talking criminal, civil, or administrative penalties, which is, I mean, think about it. If if you did this and and used the money improperly, and they um, terminated your ability to bill Medicare and yeah. your privileges, or you know, they excluded you from any other federal health care program. Well, that that could be uh, detrimental, especially if, you know, down the road, that meant that we had a health care plan, you know, yeah. a, a full national health care plan. I mean, what would that look like if you were omitted from that, you know? So right. that, you know, and I and I'm sure we'll see audits. So you know, we got to, we got to comply with this stuff. That's for sure. Right. So what, um, do you have any recommendations for the, the listeners on, on what they should do, how they should move forward? Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you what I, I tell our clients and, um, and the re- recommendation would be the same. First of all, what, we're talking about HHS money here. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think you should have a CARES Act Provider Relief Fund Payment Policy and Procedure, a document that says this is how we are are going to um, account for the money. This is how we are going to use the funds. This is how we're going to, who's our compliance officer and who's going to um, sign off on the use of the funds. Um, We're going to make sure that we follow the HHS regulations, what we can and what we cannot do with the money. Um, And then we're going to uh, document, record, uh, you know, and, and keep records on how we spent the money. And then the, um, as far as our financial policy, I say to clients, they need to update their financial policy to include language regarding the balance billing. Okay. So right. making sure that patients understand what that is and what it includes and what it doesn't include uh, as far as balance billing. Cause you know, there are things where if it's not related to COVID, you wouldn't have to worry about it as much as you do if it is COVID related. Uh, right. Procedures. And I can see that being an easily overlooked item mm-hmm. just in regular day-to-day operations, unless right. it's been outlined. Something that would impact, um, you know, your clients as well would be reviewing and updating their compliance plan. Mm -hmm. So especially as it relates to the education of employees over this and, and uh, what the money is to be used for. And, and so that, you know, there's good communication amongst everybody as far as, you know, using the right or keeping the funds and using the right funds for the right purpose, you know, that sort of thing. Exactly. And then there's, there's also, you know, if you're going to, for example, HHS money, one of the, the use of funds is you could use it for um, maybe having your attorney or your accountant help you through some of this, right? So you're going to pay mm-hmm. some fees. But one of the things you'd have to do is get a contractor at attestation compliance of compliance. So they too have to uh, attest to the fact that they neither they or their any other owners, employees, or contracts or agents that they work with um, are 
also have been convicted of federal felonies or criminal violations uh, within the past 24 months. Well, you know, right. you think, well, that's pretty straightforward, but you still have to have it and you have to have it in your file. So, right. um, you know, that would be one thing to have. Um, and then I tell clients to record appropriate use of the funds, you know, like we're keeping track in their accounting records of the PPP money, the HHS money, the idle grants they received. Um, if they have an idle loan, we're, we're keeping that all separate. And then we track by use of the uh, accounting program, uh, which funds are being used for which expenses. And, um, and then we document that and record uh, and keep record re retention. So we, we established with our clients anyway, a, a collaborative spreadsheet that uh, they have online and we share it with them. And so we have access to it. They have access to it. And then they and we, because we do their payroll, we'll record the payroll information, put it in the spreadsheet, um, signify how it's how it qualifies for the use of, say, the PPP money, or in this case, maybe the HHS money. And then we take whatever reports we're doing, whether that's a um, payroll report or maybe it's um, the doctor paid for some PPE supplies or a bunch of extra cleaning supplies that they had to get because of the COVID-19 situation. Right. So they're, they're going to put that in there and then they, we give them a secure folder to upload that documentation. So we've got it there. We got it like be audit ready, right? So if anybody ever comes in, you go, okay, well, here's our file. Here's what we spent the money. Here's how much we got. Here's what we spent the money on it. And it summarizes it. And then here's all the documentation and here's everything in, that's in there. That's a great tool. I mean, I, I can't even imagine how helpful that is to the clients that you have that have has received this money. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So go ahead. No, go ahead, Laura. Well, I was just going to say, you mentioned a couple of examples of how funds can be used. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and give us some other sure. examples? Well, let's talk about the HHS funds first. Okay. So <laughs> the use of those funds really are fall into two categories, increased healthcare related expenses that are not reimbursed by another source, such as PPP or idle or any of that. Okay. Uh -huh. So if, if you have increased related expenses or you have lost of a loss of revenue due to COVID-19, then you could, um, you, you know, substantiate that and then use the uh, funds for appropriate operating expenses. So some of the examples, like I mentioned, purchase of PPP equipment or additional mm -hmm. cleaning supplies uh, could be the purchase of technology. We had a lot of clients get uh, introduced and get their feet wet in uh, using telehealth services, right? So yeah. um, whether that be additional computers, cameras, or whatever they had to do in order to get that up and running, those costs could be used um, as part of HHS money where that would not be used for um, PPP money, okay? So there's where if someone had a lot of costs in that regard, it might make sense to apply for the HHS money and get that and then allocate those costs towards that money, even, right. if, it, even if it is taxable money. 
Um, how about the purchasing of, of the COVID-19 testing kits, you know, um, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Maybe you had to buy a bunch more uh, thermometers, you know, I don't know, <laughs> right. those kinds of things. Or, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are putting up the, uh, the plastic, you know, um, barriers, right? Yeah. yeah Plexiglass yeah. in between the, you know, the reception areas, or maybe it's uh, between cubicles of employees or any of that kind of stuff. So you would have those kinds of costs. Anything that you could relate to the COVID uh, situation that you wouldn't have normally had that you could substantiate, those kinds of costs could be used as increased healthcare-related expenses. And then as far as the loss due to COVID-19, that could be because, well, we had fewer patients or canceled visits uh, and or what we've been doing with our clients is we just looked at a comparison of revenue uh, Mm -hmm. for the month of March and for the month of April 2019 compared to 2020. Not much difference uh, in 19, some, but not a lot. A dentist early on had a had a loss right away in, in March because right. they were shut down fairly early. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, April, when we saw those financial statements coming through, about April, May, that's when I really saw the difference to a lot of clients. And then they saw the, the, the decrease in the loss of revenue. So let me ask you a question about that specifically, because I know mm-hmm. our, our listeners may have this as well. So if they had a significant or any law of the loss in revenue that money if they applied for that money and received that portion of funds mm-hmm. any of their operating expenses their normal operating expenses can be applied to that money is that correct yeah that's uh that is correct i i have a an emergency group a physician group that i work for um and they got the hhs money and at first it was like well you know, they're contracted with a hospital. Hospital really pays for all the expenses. They don't have a lot of extra costs. Well, they did have is loss of revenue, right? Mm-hmm. So they have a loss of revenue, so which more than substantiated their HHS funds, the amount that they received. So now I say, okay, well, I, I, I've substantiated the HH, the, the receipt of it. However, now I got to still expend it, right? Well, right. if if they don't have a lot of other operating costs, what are some of the operating costs? Most of it's payroll. Yeah. So what we're waiting to do is say, okay, well, here's the PPP money. We'll use that up. And then any excess we'll use towards the HHS money. And they didn't receive just a ton of money. So we'll be able to use it for payroll. So yeah, it could be uh, payroll. It could just be your rent. It could be, um, you know, mortgage payments, lease payments, health Electric health. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think it would be equipment. Equipment would be, wouldn't be part of an operating cost. That would be like a capital cost. Okay. All right. Good to know. So I would, I would work more and apply more of the operating costs, clinical supplies and things like that, that you could, you could uh, do. So um, perfect. Yeah. That, that's what you'd use that money for. Okay. Yeah, I think one of the things we've had is we've had a couple of our clients say, well, can I use it? You know, we didn't have to do this big mass training for all of our organization staff or whatever to get them prepared for some of these safeguards and procedures, you know, that we put in for COVID-19. 
and all this has had to change and we have this mass group. And so a lot of them that we've talked to are saying, hey, we're gonna go ahead and use part of this money to make sure that we can, for one, make sure that we have an established training program, Mm -hmm. get our employees all trained up on all these new procedures that came about from COVID-19. And then of course, as you've talked about, they're like, well, if it isn't documented, it isn't so. So we'll maintain documentation justifying the need for that training. So Yeah, that's a great point, Chad. And I think, you know, with the programs that you guys have and have implemented with this, I think would be a perfect example of utilizing that those funds for that reason. Um, I, I tend to try to use um, payroll costs as much as possible whether that be for the, you know, we, we started out with a eight week program, which turned into a 24 week program, right. For PPP. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we've uh, changed how we track it at, actually and how we substantiate it. We, we looked at it and we wanted to make sure that our clients, um, it made sense for them to do this first. I mean, we have to look at each client individually, but for most of our clients, it made sense to apply all payroll to the PPP money. Well, if, right. I, can, if I can do that, I limit the amount of, of documentation I have to get ready. Same thing with HHS. If I was able to put this all towards payroll and the additional payroll, after, not, not counting what I used for PPP money, but if I had additional payroll and I could use that for the HHS money, it just makes it easier now I don't have to go get, you know, um, attestations from contractors and, you know, right. I don't have to fill all that other requirements. So if I, I want to use the things that I can internally as first, you know, if I can. Okay. So, you know, keeping documentation, uh, we want to try to keep it as simple as possible because, um, well, it just makes it easier for everybody, but, right. uh, the care, the cares act, uh, in the CARES Act says this is what you need to keep and, you know, keep on hand and so on and so forth. And as far as the HHS money, that would be, you know, your, maybe your application. If you had to fill out an application to get the round of, of provider relief funds, I would keep those applications on hand. Um, how much money did you actually receive from HH, or for the HHS funds? Or, you know, maybe you got the PPP funds. You know, how much money did you get? have record of that. Keep your monthly bank statements. Of course, everybody keeps those, but you want to especially keep those as it relates to not only the deposit of the money, but also as it relates to the expenses that you, that were incurred. So um, keeping a detailed list of all expenses that were allocated to the HHS funds. So I want to be able to say, I received, I'm just going to pick a number, $20,000 here are all the expenses that I used up at $20,000 and what that is. And then along with that, here are all this, all the documentation to, uh, to support those expenses, whether it be a vendor agreement with HCP maybe, or, you know, and, and what we have to pay them. Um, or maybe it's, you know, the invoices we receive, et cetera, those kinds of things. Um, proof of payment, whether that be the canceled check, um, you know, maybe, uh, the bank statement would suffice for that, showing that, hey, this is the check that I paid, check number 6501, and 6501 is right here on my bank statement, went out of the bank, you know, that sort of thing. And then uh, documentation, 
also if you're going to rely on lost revenue calculations. So if you have lost revenue calculations, how did you determine that? Was it based on a budget? Was it based upon actual? Was it based on, you know, the loss of patients, you know, visits or whatever? How, how did you determine that loss of revenue and how did you substantiate that? I think that's what they're, they're looking for. So I want to make sure that you have those kinds of things documented, recorded and retained. And I think you've got to keep that for uh, at least three or five years, I think, something like that. Okay. Mike, is this, uh, that, is this what you, I think you had talked about previously in a conversation we had about a tool you had created for your clients. Is this mm -hmm. what you created that for? Exactly. Yeah, we, when, when uh, the PPP program came out, we sat down um, and put a program together, a, a spreadsheet, to say, okay, here's the amount, the date we got it, so we know how many weeks it automatically calculated the eight weeks, and then the clients could go in there and put in what they paid, whether they paid their rent, and then they'd put the date on it. We knew it was either in week one or week, you know, four, whatever, um, and then they would upload the their lease agreement, for instance. If it was rent, we wanted a copy of the lease agreement. So that would get uploaded in there. And uh, so it's just a way to work with our clients to help them become audit ready. I just said, I want my clients when the bank comes and says, okay, we're now going through this forgiveness process. I want them to be able to say, here you go, banker, here's all the stuff. And it's yeah. done. And we didn't have to sit here and go, oh, now we got to go get all this information for the bank. You know, I just wanted <laughs> it all ready to go. And of course that, that has changed dramatically in the time span that we've had that since the implementation. But when we had the PPP program, then HHS came along. I just said, well, just make another tab and then we'd keep it the same way. And same thing with the idle. We have a couple of clients that receive the idle loans so we could do the same thing with that as well. So you, Mike, you've talked a lot about just the record keeping and, and all of the documentation. Can you, talk to us a little bit about what the requirements are as far as reporting these expenses back to the government and when, how often that's going to happen. Does it matter on how much money they've received? I mean, what, what the criteria is. Right. So we know that uh, HHS anyway is going to have some form of quarterly reporting. Now I haven't seen anything specifically on that, you know, like I don't have anything where I go, right. okay, the clients have to, you know, report this way. Um, supposedly that's all being worked on and, and will be provided. What we do know though, is that if you have, um, there's been a lot of talk about simplification with PPP money, right? And mm -hmm. uh, so if your money is less than $150,000, um, you don't have, you may, they're talking about potentially giving you automatic forgiveness. I mean, that's, that's being talked wow. about, you know, yeah. um, it's not final yet, but it, that's being talked about. If not, you still go under a simplified application. So you can fill out a simplified application and, and uh, be able to, you know, have that money forgiven. Well, let's say that you received $120,000 of PPP money and you received uh, maybe $35,000 of HHS money. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that's over $150,000 in total for the CARES Act as a whole. You know, they're going to look at all CARES Act money, not just, you know, HHS or just PPP. It'll be everything. And then the then HHS will be, hey, you know what? We, we want to see quarterly reporting. We want to know where you're at on these things. So what that is and what that looks like, no, I don't, I don't know that yet. Right. Um, and if it's out there, I, I just haven't found it yet, you know, so it's, uh, but anyway, so the reporting requirements, and you're going to have to keep all those funds that you receive, whether it's the Paycheck Protection Program, the idle grant that was originally up to uh, $10,000. First, it was going to be $10,000 automatically, and they changed it to $1,000 per employee. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really up to 1000 Some clients received less than ten grand. Um, any of this HHS provider relief money that you receive, the SBA idle loans, um, some clients participated in that Medicare accelerated or advanced payment programs, you know, all those funds should be kept separately, counted for separately, and then shown how you use that money separately as well. Right. So that you're ready to give that report if you have to, to the government. And I think, I mean, I think the last thing I read and I don't, I mean, it may change because as you know, things change often, but I think we're expecting some information sometime in August to let us know how they're supposed to be reporting. That's, but, that's probably true. Like we said earlier, they've extended the uh, application process to August 28th. So they probably want to get everybody on the hook before they start talking about it. Right, exactly. <laughs> what they have to give you or what we have to give them in order to substantiate it. Right. So yeah. bef- before we kind of wrap up, can you spend a little time just talking specifically about the payroll protection program? Because I know we've received a lot of questions about that too, as far as sure. the use of the funds. Yep. I, well, let's just overall, just a quick, quick summary of that. You know, it's, as far as, you know, terms and conditions, um, fairly similar. I mean, you're, you're basically saying the same kinds of things, you know, that you do that we talked about with the HHS uh, terms and conditions. Um, it's a little relaxed. I mean, it was, the idea was supposed to be, let's get this money to small businesses, right? Um, mm-hmm. Those em- that employ less than 500 employees, let's get this money to them to help them out for this crisis. And uh, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time with clients saying to them, look, when your bank comes and asks you for all this information, they're going to come to you and say, you need this, you need that, because they are used to the SBA, the Small Business Association has loans out there. And if the bank is involved with that, they're going to know, they're going to say, well, we have to follow all these guidelines. You've got to give us this, this, and this. I said, look, it's not going to happen that you, you, you go right back to them and say, no, this is not what we have to do. We only have to do this. And I said, cause this is a different program and they're probably not going to be up to speed on it. Right. And so that's what happened. So it was very relaxed and especially for anybody that was receiving less than a million dollars that they were, you know, they're giving them some, you know, um, just relaxation of the rules so that they could get the money. And that was what it was intended so that they get it right away. Right. Uh, the, the funds were going to be two and a half times the average payroll, monthly payroll. We used 2019 as our, 
our base and we just went and figured that out for each client and then it was plus state unemployment payments health insurance retirement plan contributions that sort of thing we mm -hmm. added that all up and then gave it to a client our clients in a again a shared spreadsheet they just went in then they could easily fill out the application get it to the bank uh, we provided them with their 941s and so on that they had to give to the bank that we knew we had to give them that was a, just a click a link here and then up came that stuff and it was secure. They could download it, give it to the bank. And, and they were, I'd say 99% of my clients had the, uh, had that money fairly quickly. I mean, they got the That's PPP great. money fairly quickly. Um, some just didn't because they, you know, were questioning whether or not they even needed the money. And, and um, you know, so there was a lot of that too, right? Do I really need this? I'm not sure I really apply for this, that kind of thing. And, and as far as use of funds uh, for the PPP, it had to be for payroll. And uh, basically payroll costs that were $100,000, less than $100,000 annualized. So um, whatever that happened to be for the period, um, uh -huh. the eight weeks or the 24 weeks, um, their rent, utilities, mortgage interest and then interest incurred on debt that they had prior to uh, February 15th, 2020, which is about the time that they figured, you know, the COVID crisis started. Right, right. So that was, that's really the use of the funds. And, uh, and now, you know, when you think about PPP, I mean, that it's been a whirlwind. I mean, it's been, we've been like, like I said, every day you wake up saying, okay, well, what's next, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When things were finally calming down and something else would come along, we go, oh my goodness, now we got to help out with this too. But, and, we, and we're looking on the horizon. I think that there's some things that may come up. Um, Congress is still working on potential additional funding, which may include a second draw of, of a payroll protection program, you know, that, that, that may happen. We don't know, um, you know, and, and what we did for our clients is said, okay, well, let's just go and get ready. We're not going to, um, we're not saying that it is or it isn't going to happen, uh, but let's just get ready. So what could we do? Well, let's go take the receipts for the first quarter and receipts for the second quarter and compare that to 2019 to see how much our revenue is down. Okay. So originally, on what we've seen from uh, Congress, they, they came out with this program and give, uh, provided some documentation on what their, uh, we had the, the CARES Act, this is going to be the HEALS Act, so supposedly, mm -hmm. you know, right. and so they just said that the PPP money, there were going to be different qualifications for the second draw and your revenue had to be down 50% or more. So we just said, well, let's just go out and look and see which clients that would affect and be ready. And, right. and uh, so that's all we've done really at this point. And now we know. So if, if the percentages goes from 50%, say, to 25%, we'll be able to change the percentage real quickly and then go, okay, well, these are all the clients that got to get it. And let's go to the bank. And, you know, and those that have 50% or more, and if in their dire straits, we might say to them, hey, go to the bank and at least, you know, say, hey, Mr. Banker, uh, remember me? I was here for the first round. I'm probably going to be there for the second round, you know, just be ready for me when I come in, you know, just right. keep, I mean, relationships with bankers 
so important, right? Oh my uh, gosh, yes. I mean, when when you need the money, uh, it's not the time to start a relationship. No, no. You know, so, so just staying in touch with them is really cool and are you know a good thing to do. So, um, and then I've been suggesting that uh, clients start a DIY PPP program, a do-it-yourself PPP. Okay. Program. So tell and, us about that. Yeah. So I've been telling clients, you know, in the in the several years, this was years and years ago, prior to the downturn in, I think, like 2008, I told clients, you know, you should always keep, you know, maybe you'd keep like a half a month or a month of, of uh, general, average general overhead as, as cash. So you just always have that, you know? Right. Um, kind of just working capital. Then when 2008 came along, I thought, you know, that's just not enough cash. You, you need to keep more cash. So I bumped it up to like one to two months you know, and so whenever I see a client that's below that, then mm-hmm. I would I would start to say to them, hey, guys, you got to look at this or maybe you shouldn't do physician bonuses this quarter just because you really need to have that kind of a cash available in case something happens. Well, now I would say you need to keep probably two to four months. Okay. You know, and so just keep a lot of cash. I mean, people tend to spend what they have. I mean, we do that, right? as employees or, you know, people just don't, as a nation, we don't save a lot of money. I just think we got to, we got to keep more cash on hand to kind of protect our, our payroll that way and not necessarily rely on the government. Um, It's an election year. So right now when we hear, you know, well, Congress might do this to help us out, a lot of that is political, right? right? So you, you have the Democrats who, who uh, came out with the House program and and then Senate looks at it and that's mostly Republicans. So they're looking at it and going, well, we want to come up with this program. And so right now there's a lot of, you know, jockeying between the two parties as to how we're going to do this and how it's going to affect the election, I think, you know, overall. Yeah. I think that has a lot to do with it. But put politics aside for a minute. No matter what, we're spending a lot of money Yes. And we can't keep spending a lot of money. And so this kind of situation, whether we have a pandemic or something else comes up in our lives as business owners, we have to be prepared. And the only way to be prepared is to have enough cash. And so I just say, you know, do it yourself. Keep, get your own PPP program going, <laughs> right. and you know, have it available. And, and we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to pay for this down the road as well. So what are the, what's the tax planning we have to think about, you know, practices and doctors uh, need to plan for their future. And, and that's what we're here to help them do. Cause like I said, at the very beginning, we're here to help them mind their own business. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's really uh, what we, you know, want to do with clients and looking out there for them. And so our comments to them, uh, whether it's with their financial statements or the uh, client portals that we have available for them. We have client resources that they can get on that have the webinars and stuff like that. We try to keep them abreast of what's going on, you know, or what should they be thinking about? So any other questions you have for me today? Uh, I, I think you've given us a lot of really great information. I know your clients have to be very happy um, with what you're doing 
to help them along the way. And I think our listeners are going to be very happy about what you've given us today, just as a good overview and a breakdown of these programs and what they need to do to protect themselves and to make sure that they're accounting for things appropriately. Yeah. Well, Loretta and Chad, thank you so much for inviting me to come on and, and do this with you guys. Uh, I really enjoy doing it. And uh, if there's anything I can do to help you in the future, please, uh, please give me a call or look us up and look on, look on our website, you know, as well. We do keep um, some uh, blog posts and things going on out there too, that might be helpful to you and or your listeners. Sure. And Mike, is that website, is it at mdmanagementgroup.com? Is that right? mdmanagementgroup.com. We have one uh, website for the CPA firm as well, but I think you'll find for physicians and dentists looking at the services that we provide here as part of the healthcare group, uh, looking at mdmanagementgroup.com is the best place to go. Perfect. And as a reminder, if anybody wants to access Healthcare Compliance Pro's website, you can just simply visit www.hcp.md. Great. Great. Well, Thanks so much. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate your time today. You bet. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Compliance Solved, brought to you by Healthcare Compliance Pros. Are your compliance needs being met? Would you like a free compliance consultation? Do you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future podcasts? We would love to hear from you. Please contact us through email, info at hcp.md, by phone, 855-427-0427, or visit our website at www.hcp.md.